It was August the 2nd when the delegates finally put pen to paper. The first name was signed with a large, bold flourish, and one by one they were called upon to follow suit. Each man present that day knew exactly what he was risking in that moment. To the British, this was treason, an act of war punishable by death. A heavy silence filled the room as one man after the other signed what each believed to be their death sentence. The seriousness of the morning was only broken by the booming voice of Benjamin Harrison, the Virginian who was built like a grizzly bear. He turned to the scrawny-framed Elbridge Gary of Massachusetts and said to him with a wry smile, I shall have a great advantage over you, Mr. Gary, when we are all hung for what we are now doing. With me, it will be over in an instant, but you will be dancing on air for an hour after I'm gone. In fact, it was Benjamin Franklin who said, Indeed, we must all hang together, otherwise we will most assuredly hang separately. Today we're beginning a brand new series of sermons that we've entitled Under God. And over the next four weeks, we'll be looking at the Pledge of Allegiance through the lens of the Scriptures. Because you may know this and and you may not, but there is an election coming up. And elections can, from time to time, be a little bit divisive. Today we'll be looking at what it means to be one nation. And then next week, we'll explore the implications of living under God. On November the 8th, Webby will remind us that Jesus' followers are to be indivisible. You see, elections have winners and elections have losers, but as the followers of Jesus, we are to be united. Not a sliver of space or a hint of daylight should come between us, and that includes our politics. Finally, Chris will wrap things up by exploring what it means to extend liberty and justice to all. What does it look like to be a source of freedom and fairness to the world around us? The truth is, It would be really easy for Christians living right now in 2020 to get swept along with the current of our culture. I mean, it's it's true. The followers of Jesus could give up and go with the flow. But if we were to do that, if if we were to, to, to settle for this, we would be sacrificing an opportunity to show our community and our country the real Jesus. I don't believe that we have been blessed so extravagantly to just enjoy our nation's blessings and savor our country's freedoms. We, the followers of Jesus, are also here to be a blessing to others and help them find lasting freedom in Jesus. If you'll recall, one of the major factors for colonizing the Americas to begin with was the opportunity to worship freely. The Church of England and the Catholic churches of Europe had established hierarchies and rituals that went beyond what was taught in the Scriptures. The colonists of the Plymouth Plymouth colony there rejected this encroachment on their faith and came to be known as separatists or pilgrims. 
They believed that the Church of England and the Catholic Churches of Europe had strayed too far and they wanted the opportunity to freely worship and stand on the Bible. They believed that, that this freedom found in Jesus was amazing and life-changing and wanted to build a community that embraced this life-changing freedom completely. From the moment the first colonists set foot in this country, the ability to worship the real Jesus and find freedom in Him was what mattered most. Jesus has set us free, and we're here to help others find that freedom as well. The Apostle Peter explains the calling place on Jesus' followers like this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. As we go about the business of our daily lives, Peter reminds us, as followers of Jesus, we are more than just Americans. We have a dual citizenship, so to speak. We are Americans to be sure, but we are also citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. We touched on this a little bit back in August during our different series, and we said that we're just kind of passing through this life. You know, it's, it's temporary. Our eternal home is somewhere else. Because we are the followers of Jesus, we are citizens in His kingdom. We are to live differently than the world around us. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? So that we may declare the praises of God who called us out of darkness. In fact, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he took this dual citizenship idea even further, saying this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So before we get to Paul's main point in this uh, passage in 2 Corinthians, let's just take a a moment to reflect on the the idea that he's he's posed to us so far. Okay, Um, Are we Christians... Uh, looking at the world around us, Christians and non-Christians alike, from a worldly point of view? Have we fallen into the enemy's trap in this regard? Have we gotten comfortable seeing people who aren't like us, maybe from a a different social uh, status or, or maybe from the opposing side of the political aisle? Have we gotten comfortable seeing them from a worldly perspective? Is Nancy just an old drunk? Is Joe just a buffoon? Is Donald a creep? Is Mitch a snake? Are Democrats a bunch of anarchists and outlaws and Republicans a bunch of crooks and con men? Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. That means that we are supposed to to be different, that we're supposed to look at the world around us and the people around us differently. We don't rush to judgments the way that others might. We don't see people the way that the world does or label them the way that the world has. This doesn't mean that, you know, the folks around us are without fault. Not at all. But Paul explains why this is so important beginning in verse 18. All of this, this new way of living and seeing others, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Do you see what what Paul is suggesting here? God reconciled us through Jesus. He didn't avoid us or write us off or cut off communication with us. He didn't count our sins against us, according to verse 19. In Jesus, he did the exact opposite. He pursued us. We were 100% in the wrong. We were guilty and we were caught red-handed. But instead of treating us the way that we deserved, Jesus reconciled us to God. His blood brokered peace between us and our Heavenly Father. He eased the tension that existed and paid the debt that our foolishness had run up. Then, according to Paul in verse 18, God gave us the same ministry. Paul calls the followers of Jesus ministers of reconciliation. God didn't hold our foolishness and folly against us, And that would, in theory, make it really easy for us to accept others who are also prone to lengthy episodes of foolishness and folly themselves, right? Paul continues, verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is where... uh, this idea of dual citizenship climaxes. You see, we are not just average, everyday American citizens. We are also a royal priesthood, citizens of a holy nation, chosen to be ambassadors of the king. Now, I happen to think this is super, super interesting. You see, an ambassador is the highest-ranking diplomat sent from one country to another The famous preacher uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones described the gravity of this role saying this, an ambassador from one country is always conscious of the fact that he has a tremendous responsibility because he is the representative by whom his country is going to be judged. And to us is given the privilege and responsibility of being the representatives of the Son of God in this world. We stand for him. People judged him by what they see in us. And they are perfectly entitled to do so because we are the ones through whom and in whom he is glorified. Brothers and sisters, just stop for one moment and take in the gravity, the magnitude of what it means to be Jesus' ambassador. Now the fact is you you may feel unworthy for such a role. Maybe you've been told that you're worthless and that you would never amount to anything. Maybe you've grown accustomed to seeing yourself from the perspective of the world rather than from God's perspective. You may feel undeserving and unsuitable for such a mantle. The voice in your head may say that you are unfit to represent Jesus, but the God of the universe who spoke creation into existence, His voice says otherwise. In Jesus, you are are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. This calling is not a matter of public opinion. We haven't been elected by people. We've been appointed by God to be a holy nation. The living ambassadors of Jesus, and like 
Lloyd-Jones has pointed out, people will judge him by what they see in us. When we choose to blend in rather than stand out, we miss the point of our being here. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever stopped to consider why Jesus doesn't just teleport uh, his followers to heaven when they choose to follow him? I mean, wouldn't it make sense that the faithful should just be able to go to heaven as soon as they make the decision to follow Jesus? Have you ever stopped to reflect on why life keeps going the, you know, on as it always has um, when we decide that we're going to start following Jesus? Have you ever given that any thought? I think the reason that we aren't instantly transported to heaven is the goal isn't just to get us to heaven, but to get heaven to earth as well. Remember Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6? He said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, the, the followers of Jesus, are also here to be a blessing to others and help them find lasting freedom in Jesus. We are here to advance God's heavenly kingdom here on earth by living like Jesus and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As the spring of 1778 inched closer and closer to the summer of 1778, the war for American independence raged on. From the Continental Army's headquarters there in Valley Forge, General George Washington would plot, plan, and strategize his troop movements so that he could outwit and outmaneuver the superior forces of the British Army. Washington understood the odds uh, his men were up against, and he knew the perils that lay before them at literally every turn. He recognized that if their cause were to fail, they would lose their lives and America would never be free. But on the morning of Saturday, May the 2nd, 1778, Washington sat at his post, drawing up general orders for his many regiments. However, his instructions that day read more like the sermon notes of a country preacher rather than the battle plans of a rugged general. Quote, While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, Washington wrote, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. I think what Washington understood that day in 1778 is something that we can't afford to forget right now in the life of our country. Being good citizens and patriots is admirable and noble. But as Christians, we don't represent ourselves alone. We represent Jesus too. We should seek to have the character of Christ. We are His ambassadors, members of a holy nation, determined to bring God's kingdom to earth just as it is in heaven. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus, you can take that step today. When we repent of our sins and are baptized into Christ, we are set free from the power of sin and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to reshape us from the inside out so that we can begin thinking and speaking and acting the way that Jesus did. If you've never been reconciled to God 
by accepting Jesus as your Savior, that invitation is available to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for including us in your kingdom. Help us to live in such a way that we don't overlook the fact that our example matters to you and to the world around us. And Father, for those who've never determined to follow you, I pray that you will speak to their hearts, embolden them with courage so that they might choose you over the world and seek to join your kingdom and your family. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us, especially in giving us Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.